everyone. Welcome to The Leaders Among Us. I'm Alex Nogales, President and CEO of the National Hispanic Media Coalition. On this show, I will be interviewing leaders from all sectors of activity, be it culture, politics, business, the arts, education, and on and on. What is a leader? I suggest to you that a leader is someone who is committed to making a difference in our society in the way we think, act, and innovate positive change. My first guest fits this profile perfectly. He is a dear friend, Los Angeles City Councilman of the 1st District, Gilbert Cedillo. Gilbert, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. And I'm very, very flattered and very excited about being uh, a participant uh, in this leadership process. Uh, I think if there's anything more needed today, uh, it's this question of leadership. And so thank you for, for doing this. And I'm, I'm very excited to be a participant, as I said. For those of you that are not familiar with uh, uh, Gilbert Cedillo's record, let me just say to you that he spent 14 years in the state legislature, in both the Assembly, the Senate. So he is someone that comes with a great deal of experience, with a great deal of maturity to the job as city councilman. He, while well, he was in the state um, uh, legislature, he uh, authored close to 100 bills that were signed and chaptered into California law by four different governors. Um, he is very well known for a number of things, but first and foremost, for the fact that he authored a bill that gave uh, immigrants, those that were here without documentation, the right to have a driver's license. He also did the DREAM Act here in the state of California. And now just recently, he authored the City of Sanctuary, along with Herb Wesson, who is a councilman of the 10th District and the leader of the council. So uh, what exactly, Gilbert, is a City of Sanctuary? Well, City of Sanctuary is uh, our response to the very blatant and brazen attacks uh, by Donald Trump, specifically, and the Trump administration uh, on our way of life uh, here in the city of Los Angeles, here in the state of California. The City of Sanctuary is our statement that says to him, look, you began your campaign by attacking Mexicans, immigrants, Muslims, women, transgender, gay, the list is long of those who he has attacked. Uh, this week now he's attacking the entire uh, NFL and American football. Uh, so we found it was necessary because of disruption that's taking place in our community uh, for us to speak up on behalf of immigrants. Uh, immigrants are the foundation of our economy. Uh, currently we have what's almost called a full employment economy with only 4% unemployment. We have a worker shortage, uh, and so we need immigrants to remain in this country and participate in the important areas of the economy that they do. And so we declared a city of sanctuary uh, because we want to work with the immigrant community and their organizations to make sure that no one uh, is deported or rounded up by ICE in the city of Los Angeles. There was a recent case, a man named Romulo uh, Aviles, who was dropping off his daughter at school in my district, and he was taken from his car and sent up to Adelanto uh, simply for taking his daughter to school. He has a model family. We launched the movement. We were able to get him out. It looks like he'll be able to stay. 
because he was a victim of fraud. Uh, he had applied for, for, he was in the process of applying for citizenship legally. Uh, his stuff was stolen from him. He was a victim. Uh, and uh, as a result of that, he didn't have a driver's license and he had to accommodate. And as a result of that, they, they snatched him up, but he didn't need to be. And so the, uh, the city of Sanctuary is the effort on behalf of the city to protect all immigrants and let them know that we're here to protect you. We will provide legal services. We will provide education. We will integrate these efforts through all our institutions because we don't want our way of life disrupted by the temporary presence of Donald Trump in the White House. Gilbert, how was it that you came to this work that you do? I mean, you're a model for a person who cares for a person who uh, really is helping the underdog, the disenfranchised, those that cannot do it on their own. You're helping them with their civil rights to go to the next step in their development, citizenship, and everything that that implies. How was it you came to this work? Where are your parents from? Where were the forces that shaped you? You know, my parents are from uh, Barstow, California. And I think more importantly, they're from a generation that grew up in the Depression. And so Depression-era people have this aspect about them. They're very generous. Uh, they're hardworking, obviously. But they have this kind of spirit of generosity, even those who have very little. And I just remember my whole life, how my family was, my uncle staying with us constantly, my mother uh, being kind of the main person uh, in our family and, and with all her siblings. And even though they were always telling me, mind your own business, go to school, do well for yourself, they were... Um, uh, they were always helping other people. <laughs> my mother was the interpreter at her factory. My dad had a whole range of friends who were constantly visiting us. And they were just great people, very generous. And so uh, contrary to what they said, their actions informed me that, that you should be generous and be thankful for the blessings that you have. Uh, as you know, I received a scholarship uh, out of high school. I was able to go to UCLA. UCLA as, as an institution is very service-focused. And, you know, they, they, there's so many service clubs on the campus. Uh, they, they train you in a, in a manner that they want you to participate in the community. Uh, it's a great and wonderful university. And, and what I love about it is that it's, it's very service-focused. And so from my family and from my training, uh, I emerged from college as a person who wanted to to help the community. Before UCLA, you were in Barstow. You grew up there, is that correct? No, I was born there, but I grew up in Borough Heights. Uh, my family's from there, uh, and I'm like about a third-generation Mexican-American. Uh, I grew up in Borough Heights during the Chicano era. Uh, I was a, a high school activist uh, during that time period. Uh, but I spent a lot of time in Barstow. My parents would send me there for, for the summer or for babysitting or, or visiting my, my grandparents. So I know the, the high desert area well. Uh, I know uh, Barstow well, but you know, I'm from Borough Heights. I'm uh, one of these persons who grew up right in the heart of Borough Heights and, uh, and loved it, loved it, uh, loved it. So you went to UCLA, and then what happened? You graduated with a B.A., and you did what? I, grad I graduated with a BA in sociology, which gives me the uh, skill of observation. And then, not real practical, uh, 
for practical purposes, I wanted to be an attorney, and that was my my goal. And I ended up finding a perfect school for me uh, called People's College of Law, where you could take the law and use it and practice the law at the service of working men and women. And so I went to People's College of Law. I graduated from there. I was the president of the school. Uh, and then I went to go work for the Service Employees International Union. You can see that there's a theme evolving here. And while I was working in the legal department at SEIU, I was asked and offered the job of the CEO of SEIU. And at a very young age, I ended up leading one of the largest unions in the labor movement and SEIU's largest union on the West Coast. And then what happened? Where did you decide that you wanted to go into politics? You know, I've always been active. I never really wanted to go into politics, but I've always been involved uh, since high school. Uh, At SEIU, we were very involved in politics and the public sector, uh, dependent on on state funding, dependent on the county for funding. Um, I represented 40,000 workers from the Alley County workforce. Uh, in 21 collective bargaining units. And so uh, for six years as the general manager of that union, uh, we were always engaged in politics. And so I got to know Richard Polanco very closely, uh, Tom Hayden very closely. Uh, I had worked for many years with Jesse Jackson, uh, board member of the Rainbow Coalition. So I was very involved. And, um, you know, as a member of the union, I constantly was in Sacramento lobbying uh, to get funding for the county, which then could support our workforce. And eventually what happened is I left the, the union uh, very abruptly, and we had our differences about how we would go forward. And there was an opportunity. Uh, Lou, Lou Caldera left his position. He got an appointment to AmeriCorps by President Clinton, and it created a vacancy, and I had developed a, a brand in our efforts against 187, in our efforts to save the hospital, uh, in our efforts to advocate for workers, a brand that was uh, known to the workers and the voters in my district. And surprisingly to many, uh, I won that a special election in 1997. I won the primary, and in the first week of 1998, I won the general, and I was elected to the assembly. Uh, I went to Sacramento. I joined my boyhood friend, uh, Antonio Villad Villaraigosa, and um, we were up in Sacramento like we were at UCLA and People's College as well. And then came Proposition 187 that was being led by the then governor, Pete Wilson. Uh, mm-hmm. You uh, were very active in fighting that proposition. Tell us about it, please. For those of, for those of uh, of our younger uh, listeners that don't know about Proposition 187, why don't you describe what it what it was all about? Well, 187 was much like what we're seeing out of the Trump administration, very uh, draconian, uh, very uh, populist, jingoist, uh, but not very practical. There was an effort to remove, a desire to remove kids from school, cut off their services uh, under the auspices of a bad economy. Uh, we were opposed to it, and I was very fortunate to have a very progressive board at the union, and they gave me a directive, defeat 187. 
I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so our union became the headquarters for the effort against 187, and our union working with the labor movement became the one of the major forces along with the immigrant movement in our efforts to defeat it. Uh, we were very committed. We raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for a major march. Uh, we donated our building. Uh, it was where all the meetings took place. Uh, we got the printing done, the union printing done for all the placards. And I'm talking hundreds of thousands, uh, the printing of buttons, placards. Uh, it was a very, very central role that the union played in defeating 187. And I was, you know, their main spokesperson. And so I was very involved. Uh, in that effort uh, to mobilize the immigrant community, uh, the labor movement, uh, and the other social justice movements to defeat 187. We were not successful. Uh, we lost the battle, but won the war. Because shortly after that, uh, we engaged in a voter education process and a citizenship process where we uh, helped make one million people citizens they voted in the next election and we took back the governor's office. And I think the point there, Alex, is that voting matters, uh, organizing matters, and having a vision matters. And we were able to project that if we could mobilize these people to become citizens, register them to vote, and then get them to vote, we could win important elections. And we did by winning uh, Governor Gray Davis's uh, election uh, in 1998. So... Um, you were there for 14 years in the state legislature. You yeah, Actually 15, Alex. Uh, 15 because I won that special election, so I got one. <laughs> one <you> more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, the other thing was that you authored close to 100 bills. They were not all yeah. in immigration. They were not all in one particular area. You were all over the place in the different areas that apply to uh, people of color, to people that were... Oh. Um, under the radar to a large degree. Tell us about those times. Uh, you know, people think of me as, as an immigration expert, and I have some expertise in that area. But it was not uh, my main area. I actually just did about four, maybe five bills in this area. Uh, the others cover areas like healthcare because I had led a healthcare union, and so I, I advocated for the expansion of healthcare. Uh, delivery. I am the author of the Sadil Alakon Community Clinic Act, which provides grants to clinics so that they can build the infrastructure so they can provide more services to, to low-income people. Uh, I've worked with communities of color uh, and helped them. For example, uh, we created benefits for Filipino-American uh, veterans so that they could go back to the Philippines. We had promised them those benefits at the end of World War II, and after decades, as that, that population aged, the state of California made a commitment to provide them with benefits so that they could return to their home. I'm proud of that. Uh, I'm proud of our efforts uh, in terms of saving the cultural history of the state. Uh, we preserved, for example, here in Los Angeles, the Breeze Street Shoal. We preserved the Chinese Museum. We preserved the Italian Hall. Uh, we preserved the St. Viviana's, which was the old archdiocese that was decommissioned. Uh, we have a rich history in architectural preservation here, for which I was given an award by the, uh, by the preservationists. And so I'm proud of that as well. I have a good, uh, rich uh, environmental record. 
uh, one of the more significant ones because I helped increase the capacity of the state to clean up brownfields, perhaps tenfold, by changing the model in which we, we did that, going into a public-private partnership. And now we're able to take brownfields. These are areas where there were perhaps gas stations or cleaners or other industrial use, and clean up the property and build now housing, affordable housing, uh, other activity is now taking place there. And then I think probably one of my signature bills, uh, if you're familiar with the changes of downtown Los Angeles, uh, in 1998, 99, 2000, I worked with Carol Schatz and Tom Gilmore and the downtown business community and created something called the Downtown Rebound. And that proposal changed the coding, uh, changed the zoning, and created uh, a new environment so that people would want to build in downtown LA. And now we've got, I think we're at at least 50, maybe 70,000 new residents live in downtown as a result of that legislation. Gilbert, you were working very hard during this entire period of time uh, as a leader of a huge union, and then 14 years and 15 years, excuse me, in the state yeah. legislature. Um, but you also married, and you also had children. Yeah. Yep. When did that happen? Well, I met my beautiful wife uh, a year after I entered into UCLA. My son was born about a year later. Uh, I was with my wife for 30 years, and we grew up together. She was a beautiful woman. Uh, very proud of her. She was a, a, a dancer in American Bandstand. People may remember that show if they're older. Uh, and I was very fortunate to have the prettiest girl uh, around. Uh, we grew up together, and she taught me how to be faithful and how to be uh, uh, how to be a person of, of ethical and moral fortitude. She was a volunteer herself. She was involved in all my activities, but she was very involved with young people. She worked with the probation camps and with many of the young young men and women. Uh, she was a teacher at the church. I mean, she's wonderful and beautiful. And God blessed me for 30 years. I had a, a partner that was just uh, someone really special and someone I miss each and every single day. She passed As away. As a result, though, she blessed me. She passed away yes, from breast cancer 15 years ago. Uh, as a result, though, I have a son who uh, just, uh, I can't tell you how much I love my son. He's like my best friend. He's a, uh, I'm very proud of him. And I've got two daughters, uh, granddaughters, who they're going to, you think I, I can do a thing or two, Alex, let me tell you. These two girls are going to be the most amazing political leaders uh, in the future of our community because they, they're on fire already. It's excellent to know that um, your offspring are also following in your footsteps. So what is next for you, Gilbert? Here you are, well, city council, after 15 years in the state legislature, after having led a giant union. What is next for you? You know, uh, I have always been blessed by being given opportunities. Our strategy has been do a good job at what we're doing. It'll take us to the next one. Uh, I have just won a very tough re-election, so I've got five and a half years. I'll tell you what's next. Uh, I'm going to focus on uh, immigration. Uh, I'm going to focus on uh, housing because I'm the chair of housing. Uh, those are going to be my two primary focuses, and that covers a lot. 
uh, I know I'm towards the end of my career, and so I'm going to focus on beginning to uh, document what that is. Uh, I'm thinking of writing a book. I'm going to be part of an important book coming out soon. Uh, I've got a documentary on the DREAM Act. I want to get that done. So I've got some projects, uh, but I've also got my work. Uh, I have my orchestra that comes out of our district. We've got a partnership with the uh, uh, Fundacion Azteca, uh, and I'm very excited about that. I've got my Latin Jazz Music Festival. So I've got a rich, rich portfolio right now, Alex, and I just want to do a good job at that. And, you know, God will tell me where to go, and, and I'm just here to serve. I'm a... We talk in my office all the time. We, we're public servants. Uh, we believe in servant leadership. And so I'm just going to go forward in that way. I recognize, though, Alex, I'm at the end of my career and it may be the end of my elected career, uh, but I've got a lot more on my plate to do. So you're the leader of the of housing for the city of Los Angeles. What are the issues involved there? I mean, I think we all kind of see a lot of homeless people uh, throughout the entire county, and they need housing. Where, where are we? Where are we hitting uh, in this particular area? Well, we need to do two things immediately. One is we need to make sure uh, many people are like have housing covenants and rent stabilization. We need to protect the housing there at that level, the affordability and the affordable housing. Uh, we don't want people to abuse what's called the Alice Act uh, and move people out. Uh, we don't want displacement, so that's one. But two, we need to build, and we need to build with, with a great sense of urgency. Uh, that's our challenge. Uh, the bureaucracy in Southern California is uh, tremendous in slowing down development, particularly in the city of Los Angeles, and we need to build like as if 40,000 people were sleeping on the streets because, in fact, 40,000 people are sleeping on the streets of, Southern, of Los Angeles. We do have a housing crisis. Uh, it costs too much to live in Los Angeles because we don't have enough housing stock. And so we've, we just received a report yesterday from the chamber, uh, from one of the economists, from the, the Beacon Associates, and they say the same thing. Everybody says the same thing. We need more housing, whether you're homeless, whether you're a teacher, a new doctor, a new lawyer, whether you're, you're doing well in the economy. At every level, we need more housing. We need about 100,000 units here in L.A. We need 500,000 in the county, and we need it yesterday, Alex. Also, there is this big issue, especially on the east side, about gentrification. What, uh, how do we move on that? I mean, I understand residents don't want their neighborhoods to change, but at the same time, we need more jobs there. We need more commerce there, and it, it can't be that it's only Latinos that are in there. It's got to be everybody. I mean, when everything was said and done, uh, Boyle Heights used to be Jewish and Italian. Latinos moved in, and now we're the ones that are there. Everybody else moved out. What what do we do about that whole issue about gentrification? Well, I think it goes back to what I was just saying before. First of all, we need more housing. We need to stop uh, displacement. Those two go hand in hand. Uh, much of the gentrification, you know, people have different definitions for that. I think that my concern is on the displacement part about that, and we need to stop the displacement. And there are strategies to do that. But I, I think one of the things that people need to know, and they need to be honest about Alex, and you and I are a little bit older than, than many, is this is change is constant. 
you're not going to stop change. And we need to recognize that and we need to manage change. That's what leaders do. Leaders influence and manage change. And we need to do so in a way that, that, that treats everybody with dignity and respect. We need to do so in a way that protects people's uh, current interests. But we need to do so in a way that also looks forward. Boyle Heights that I grew up in, on my block, my Chinese neighbors to the right, next door to them, Japanese-American neighbors, right across the street, the Moore family, Irish-American, right? I went to school with Jess Bellow and Susan Pratty, Italian and Mexican-Americans. My best friend in the sixth grade, Brian Miyakawa, Japanese-American, uh, Larry Patapoff, also my friend in, in, in the sixth grade, uh, Russian-American. I lived right below Russian Hill. I mean, this was a diverse community. You know, when I saw the Breeze Street show uh, looking like it was going to fall down, I, you know, immediately went to work to save it because this is part of the cultural history of Bora Heights. And so I grew up in a very, very diverse community. Lynn Kane remains one of my best friends, and I played with a lot of great African-American athletes, and that's what's, what's made, has made Roosevelt such a great powerhouse in sports, is the diversity of its teams, including the rich African-American community. We had a high school All-American named Greg Hudson. Him and Lynn Swan were the two top uh, split ends of the nation. So I say those things because the people who are fighting for, for uh, to stop gentrification and stop change in their districts, uh, they're, they're screaming at the moon. I mean, that's not going to happen. So what we need to do, what leaders need to do is manage change, make sure that legitimate interests are protected. But we need to treat everybody with dignity and respect. And I, I've recently seen some of these videos on the Internet. Uh, a woman who grew up in Borough Heights went to New York uh, to learn art. She came back to bring those skills to her district, and they're protesting her. <laughs> South Out Graphics, which was the center of, of, of us expressing ourselves culturally from East L.A., moved down the street in Borough Heights, it's where many of our great muralists came out of. They're being protested as gentrifiers. I mean, this, this is, you know, this doesn't make sense. Uh, and so we need to recognize, recognize that uh, change is inevitable, Alex. You and I know that. We've seen it through our lives. Our role as leaders is to manage change, influence change, and make social change go towards social justice. And that's what my commitment is. We have about three more minutes here, but I want to ask you about leadership. You know, we are often criticized as not having a leadership in the Latino community. Uh, we have spoken about this, you and I, and we know that that is not so, that we have a lot of leaders. It becomes a question of what sector are we talking about? But how do we continue to nurture that leadership so that when you retire and I retire and so many others retire, there's going to be that leadership that is going to take this community forward. Well, you're a great leader, Alex, and you're a champion. And you and I do have that conversation all the time. We need to build our own institutions. Uh, we need to recognize the broad range of leadership that exists in our community. We have too much of a focus and, and maybe a little over-romanticism about the 60s uh, and not recognize all our leaders from the 50s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and, and, and in the 40s, et cetera. 
So there's a lot of great leaders that we need to acknowledge and promote. I want to do that in my district with murals, with uh, statues, with uh, with seminars and events, uh, with dedications, because, you know, Sal Castro should be known as a great leader in education. Ernesto Galarza should be known as a great leader in uh, uh, labor uh, and in particularly in, in, in ag. Bert Corona, the consummate leader, influencer, champion for social change and social justice, uh, him and Chole Alatore, there should be movies made about them. Uh, they're on and on and on. The list goes in sports and athletics. Uh, our astronaut was a dreamer, you know, and, and, and he's there in the Central Valley. He needs to be acknowledged. Dr. Q, who is a brain surgeon at John Hopkins, was a dreamer. He was undocumented. Both these men were undocumented. Now they're at the highest levels of their profession. They need to be acknowledged. On and on and on, Alex, you're doing the a great role in making sure that we have those images in the media, and that's very important because that helps us. If we see ourselves, then we know that we can do it. And I can't thank you enough for your leadership in bringing both the attention of our community, but also the broader community to the leadership that exists in our community today. And Gilbert, I thank you for your leadership and for the big work that you've been doing all these years. My friend, I send you a big hug and we will talk soon. Un abrazo. Igualmente. Igualmente. Okay. Love you, brother. Bye.